Sports Island is a complete sports podcast covering all major news and topics from across the PGA Tour, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and NCAA. This podcast focuses on sports only, as political, racial, and social issues are not discussed. If you are a sports fan and are looking to stay up to date on all of the major news and topics from across the major sports, then Sports Island is truly your getaway destination. You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Yes, indeed, it is another episode of the podcast. This is version 28 of the show. Appreciate you guys listening. Uh, Football season is officially over, but baseball season is right around the corner. And, of course, we have hockey and basketball that are in full swing with their season. So we do have some stuff to get into uh, of course, some PGA Tour talk as well. This episode is going to be uh, shorter than the previous episodes, just simply because we don't have any football games to recap. But uh, we'll go ahead and get started here right away. Start off in the PGA Tour. And last week, PGA was Pebble Beach for the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am. And of course, that's in Pebble Beach, California. Par 72 course distance was 7,051 yards. Now, there was no Pro-Am event that took place. There was a little uh, six-man celebrity uh, charity event that took place, but it was only uh, it was only half a round, nine holes, and it only featured six celebrities. So it was the first time in 75-year history of the, the Pebble Beach Pro-Am that there were, there were no amateurs and no celebrities for the full Pro-Am event. But uh, and they, they had also played uh, for the first two rounds, Thursday and Friday. Instead of splitting it amongst three courses, they only played two courses. And, of course, that was Pebble Beach Golf Links and then Spyglass Hill, which was uh, also a par 72, and it was only 10 yards shorter for the entirety of the course. So basically the same distance. Uh, great tournament, great scene, man. That Pebble Beach, is that's a beautiful course. Uh, you got enough breeze. You got... Uh, some waves crashing, uh, just a, a nice little scene there. It was nice to watch, especially with the weather that we're having uh, here in Texas at the moment. It was nice to see uh, some California weather. But uh, at the end of the tournament, your winner was Daniel Berger, and he won with a score of 18 under par. It was his third career victory on tour. Now, Daniel Berger, since the PGA Tour restart at the Charles Schwab Challenge, uh, several months back in 2020. Berger has two wins, five top threes, seven top tens, 12 top 25s, and he's made 15 of 17 cuts. So the dude's playing outstanding golf, has been for the last eight months, seven months, however long it's been since the restart. And that continued right on through here this weekend. He only had four bogeys all weekend, and he also had four eagles as well, including two in Sunday's final round. One of those two eagles on Sunday came on the iconic 18th hole, which is a par five, uh, dog leg left. You got the you got the ocean to your left, and Berger hit a pretty great tee shot along the right side. 
put him 253 yards out, and he just plunked this thing and put it 20 feet from the cup. And he ended up making that 20-foot putt to seal the deal on the eagle and basically seal the, the victory because um, he was he was far enough ahead uh, that that won him the tournament. And he ended up shooting a 7-under 65 on Sunday, which was his 26th straight round of par or better, which is the longest active streak on tour. So again, Berger is just playing lights-out golf right now. And ironically enough, the week before last, uh, he had missed the cut. His his two, he, like I told you, he's made 15 of 17 cuts since the PGA restart, one of which was last week. So he comes out after a missed cut and uh, dominates Pebble Beach there, especially in that final round. But the second place finisher was Maverick McNeely. He finished at 16 under par, two shots back of Berger. Uh, McNeely's a young kid, good golfer. He actually grew up right down the street from Pebble Beach. And when he turned 16, uh, his dad actually uh, bought him around to play at Pebble Beach for his 16th birthday. So uh, and then he shoots a 16 under here at Pebble. But uh, McNeely ended up shooting a 68 and a pair of 69s uh, over the weekend before turning in a uh, 66 on Sunday's final round. And he had eight birdies on Sunday, which was really impressive. That just shot him up the leaderboard into a solo second uh, finish there. (coughs) Now, there was a two-way tie for third at 15 under par. And that was Patrick Cantlay and Jordan Spieth. Now, Patrick Cantlay, he came out on Thursday's opening round and just fired a lights-out, bogey-free, 10-under 62, which is just absurd. Uh, and he really set the pace from there because he was the, the leader after 18 holes. And really, he was in contention all weekend. Um he obviously was in good shape after that 10 under. Now he only finished at 15 under for the tournament. So in the final three rounds, uh, he ended up only going five under par. Uh, and that includes a, a one over uh, in Friday's round two. So he went 10 under Thursday and one over Friday. So he was at nine under. He went six six under over the weekend to uh, finish at 15 under and tied for third. He's just He grew up in California. He's a really he's been playing some really good golf lately. We'll get into him more here in a minute. But Jordan Spieth was the other one at uh, third place, 15 under. Uh, he had finished fourth week before at the Waste Management Phoenix Open. Uh, it's great to see him back up near the top of the leaderboard. And when this dude's on, man, he's he's a former world number one, three time major champion, and he's still not even 30 years old yet. So yeah, he's a great golfer. Um, he had two hole-out eagles from the fairway in this tournament over the weekend. The first one was in the f- uh, the first round, uh, and the second hole-out was in the third round. Um, just amazing shots from over 100 yards out, just a little iron wedge and just a uh, great roll on it and, and plopped it in from the fairway, which very impressive. Uh, Spieth was actually the 36-hole and 54-hole leader. So after the second and third round, Spieth was your leader. But Sunday, Berger decided to go bonkers, uh, and Spieth only went two under on Sunday uh, after bogeying three holes throughout that round on Sunday. He still managed to go two under, which 
was not good enough, uh, put him three shots back a burger, and gave him a top three finish to follow up on his top four finish the week before. So this is the first time in 1,043 days that Jordan Spieth has had back-to-back top five finishes. It's been a long time since we've seen him put two really good consistent rounds of golf together, um, tournaments together, rather. So it's great to see him back in form. Now, there was a two-way tie for fifth place, which is the equivalent of uh, fourth, basically. Uh, Paul Casey and Nate Lashley both finished at 14 under par. Uh, Paul Casey... He just played good, consistent golf all weekend. Uh, He only had four bogeys over the entire tournament, one in each round. Uh, He wasn't really flashy, uh, but he just got the job done. Now, Nate Lashley, he shared the lead with Daniel Berger for much of the final round uh, until he got to that par 4 16th hole. Lashley just got into all kinds of trouble, ended up with a triple bogey, including it was a three-putt triple bogey for Lashley. And that just, you could tell it, tore him up. He completely fell apart. Uh, that was that was his only bogey of the day on Sunday. He was putting a really good round together. He still ended up shooting three under 69 on Sunday, but that was with a triple bogey. So uh, he just, uh, that, that whole 16 is going to haunt him for, for a long time. But uh, let's check out Rick's picks to click from Pebble Beach Pro-Am. Now, last week at the Waste Management Phoenix Open, I went one for three. So I, I wasn't great. But this week's picks to click, the first one I gave you was Jordan Spieth. And he had come in, he had made all eight cuts at Pebble. Uh, he won here back in 2017. He's had seven top 25s out of his eight starts here at Pebble. So I like for him to come out rocking and rolling. And, of course, I just talked about what he did. He finished uh, tied for uh, third at 15 under par. So I definitely clicked on him. My second pick to click was Will Zalatoris. Now, Zalatoris is uh, a good young golfer. Uh, he'd come in uh, six top 17s in his last eight starts, including four in the top eight. Uh, he had finished tied for 17th the week before at TPC Scottsdale and tied for 7th the week before that at Torrey Pines. So I thought he was going to come out and uh, shoot a pretty decent score, but he ended up uh, shooting one under for the tournament, which was tied for 55th. He shot uh, a pair of three under 69s uh, in rounds one and four, opening round, closing round, but he went a combined five over uh, in the middle rounds to basically take himself out of contention. So he did have an eagle late in Sunday's uh, final round, but uh, I missed on Zalatoris. Now, my third pick to click was Patrick Cantlay, and again, I just talked about him. He tied with Jordan Spieth at, at uh, third place with a 15 under par. So uh, I, I clicked on two of my three, both of which tied for third place at 15 under par. So pretty good rebound week after a one for three at the Waste Management. Go back uh, here or come back here with the two for three at Pebble Beach. So pretty nice. Now this weekend's tournament is the Genesis Invitational. And that is at the Riviera Country Club in Pacific Palisades, California. Just an absolutely beautiful course. It's right outside Santa Monica. It's a par 71. Distance is 7,322 yards. And this this course, Riviera, has been a fixture on the PGA Tour for the last 57 years. And 
It is a top-notch field this weekend. Uh, it's invitation only, and the, f- the field's going to feature four major champions and uh, all of your top golfers in the world. So let's check out Rick's Picks to Click for this weekend's Genesis Invitational. I'll start off with Tony Finau. He's number 15th in, uh, in the world rankings, and he's coming off a fourth-place finish at the American Express and a pair of T2 finishes, one at Torrey Pines a couple weeks ago and then last week in Saudi Arabia on the European Tour. Um, the dude is just a birdie machine, and in his last two trips to Riviera, he's gone T15 and T2. So he knows how to tee it up here at Riviera. And again, the stat that I've mentioned a couple episodes ago and I picked him back-to-back weeks, he has 36 uh, top 10 finishes since his last victory, which is more than double what the next closest is uh, in terms of number of times that he's finished in the top 10. So uh, I like for Finau to get the birdies rolling and finish inside that top 25. My second pick to click this week uh, at Riviera is Patrick Cantlay. And why not? Uh, he's gone T3 and second in his last two events over the past few weeks. Uh, he grew up in California, like I said earlier. Right, In fact, he grew up right down the street uh, from, from Riviera in Long Beach, California, which is very close to Santa Monica. Uh, Cantlay went to UCLA, which is in down, you know just north of downtown LA in uh, Pasadena. And he's familiar with this course. He's played it a bunch. Uh, in his last three trips to Riviera, he's gone tied for fourth, tied for 15th, and tied for 17th. So with the way he's playing right now, and his history at this course, I like for Cantlay to not only finish solidly inside the top 25, I like Cantlay to win this week at Riviera. But my final pick to click this weekend is Xander Shoffley. There is no hotter golfer in the world right now than Xander Shoffley. He has uh, 15 straight events that he's, his last 15 events, he hasn't, he's finished inside the top 25 in all 15 of those. So he's not finished anything worse than 25th uh, in any of his last 15 events. That's what we want uh, and picks to click because uh, count a click, of course, if they're in the top 25. Now, in Xander Shoffley's last three events, he's finished with a pair of second-place finishes and a fifth. So the dude's playing really good golf right now. He's hot. Uh, He's got 15 straight finishes inside the top 25, so give me him to finish inside that top 25 and click for me. But we'll move over to the National Basketball Association, and we'll do a standings update here in the NBA. Uh, Most teams have played somewhere between 28 to 30 games out of their 72-game regular season. Uh, This week it was announced the San Antonio Spurs had a minor COVID outbreak. They had four guys test positive, so uh, their next three games are postponed. And uh, but the NBA is moving right along with their protocol. They they've got a lot of good stuff going on. But we'll start off with a uh, with a standings update here for them in the Eastern Conference. Top seed at the moment, Philadelphia 76ers at 19 and 10. The Brooklyn Nets are uh, 18 and 12. They've won four games in a row, uh, including a game in which uh, Durant and 
uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving both sat. Uh, James Harden put them on his on their back and and just carried them that game. But they've won four in a row. Milwaukee Bucks are third at sixteen and twelve. They've been on a little bit of a slide here. They've lost four in a row. Indiana Pacers fifteen and fourteen. Boston Celtics fourteen and fourteen. The New York Knicks are sixth currently in the East at fourteen and sixteen. The Toronto Raptors are thirteen and fifteen. And the Charlotte Hornets are eighth at thirteen and fifteen. And just outside the playoffs, <clears throat> the Chicago Bulls at twelve and fifteen, Atlanta Hawks at twelve and sixteen, the Miami Heat at eleven and seventeen. They just can't seem to get out of their own way. Uh, they've lost three in a row after putting together a couple wins. Uh, the Orlando Magic eleven and eighteen, the Washington Wizards. They've been on a little three-game winning streak themselves at 9-17, and 17, so they're trying to creep up from the bottom. The Cleveland Cavaliers, they got all kinds of junk going on with them. Talking about trading Andre Drummond, their center, and benching him. Well, they're 10-19, and 19, and they've lost eight games in a row. So they are completely going in the wrong direction. Now, the Detroit Pistons are last in the Eastern Conference at 8-20. and 20. But they just seem to put together wins. Uh, they just they've beaten all of the good teams. They've beaten uh, the Nets. They've beaten the Lakers. Uh, they have they they just seem to beat the top teams in the league. Um, they're a feisty team. They got a couple of decent players, but uh, they're they're in full rebuild mode there in Detroit. Now the Western Conference, the top team in the West is the Utah Jazz. They are twenty four and five. Including, they're riding a nine-game winning streak. They just can't lose. And in their last twenty games, they are nineteen and one in their last twenty games. They're nine and one in their last ten. And like I said, they've won nine games in a row. They just cannot lose. Uh, I, I don't know what it is. Of course, they have Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, uh, Joe Ingles, but man, that team can play. Uh, second in the West is the Los Angeles Lakers at 22 and seven. They're eight and two in their last 10. Uh, so they've been playing some good basketball. had a few overtime games in a row that they got through. Uh, the LA Clippers are 21 and nine. Uh, the Portland Trailblazers have moved up quite a bit. They are fourth in the West currently at 18 and 10. Now they've won six in a row and they're eight and two in their last 10. They're looking really good. Uh, they just came down here and beat my Mavericks. Uh, they had another great game against Oklahoma City. Dame Lillard looks really unstoppable, uh, putting in 30 a night with ease. Uh, the fifth-place team in the West, the Phoenix Suns, they're 17-10. and 10. They're also 8-2 and two in their last 10 games. Uh, they look pretty scrappy themselves. San Antonio Spurs are sixth at 16-11. and 11. Uh, Golden State Warriors, they're still hanging around. They're seventh at 16 and 13. And the Denver Nuggets are eighth at 15 and 13. Uh, they've lost a couple games in a row. Nikola Jokic is just a double double and triple double machine. Uh, he is good for at least 30 points and 10 rebounds a night, it seems like. He's got three 40 point games this year, which is tied for the most in the NBA. Uh, he's just, that guy is a monster. He's unguardable. Uh, I would suspect that Denver will turn it around at some point. 
just outside the playoffs, the Memphis Grizzlies at 12 and 12. My Dallas Mavericks are 13 and 15. Sacramento Kings are 12 and 15. New Orleans Pelicans 12 and 16. Uh, Zion Williamson is uh, he is off to a great start. He's averaging uh, almost 26 points a game, 28 points a game, I believe, so far this year. Uh, just killing it. Uh, Houston Rockets, my goodness, they are going the wrong direction. They are 11 and 17, and that includes seven straight losses they have. They're two and eight in their last 10 with seven straight losses. Bottom two teams in the West are the Oklahoma City Thunder at 11 and 17, and the Minnesota Timberwolves at 7 and 22. And we'll have more NBA news and uh, around the island here shortly. But we'll move over to the National Hockey League, and we'll do a standings update for that. Uh, they are also, uh, every team's played anywhere between uh, 15 or so games all the way up to about uh, 18 games or so, 20 games. Uh, there's been uh, some more COVID issues out of the NHL uh, that, that have come up. Um, the New Jersey Devils are actually... Uh, returning to the ice this week after their uh, layoff. The Colorado Avalanche, same thing. They're, they just got back after a COVID, COVID pause. But uh, the NHL is doing a good job of rearranging games. There's been some funky stuff that's happened uh, <clears throat> with the scheduling, and we'll kind of get into that here and around the island with the NHL. But uh, the St. Louis Blues and the Arizona Coyotes, both teams are in the uh, – the Honda West division of the NHL. And because of the scheduling issues that have arisen from multiple teams in there uh, between Vegas and Colorado going on their COVID leaves for, for as long as they did, the Blues and the Coyotes had to, they got a schedule that got rearranged in which they played each other seven consecutive games, uh, which is crazy because they only play each other eight times during the season. So, uh, to play seven consecutive games against each other is quite a bit. Now, the Arizona Coyotes took to Twitter and uh, made a little fun out of it. On Valentine's Day, or just after Valentine's Day, the, the Arizona Coyotes tweet said, Hey, St. Louis Blues, we know yesterday was Valentine's Day, so this might be bad timing, but we were thinking that after today we should see other teams. And it's not us, it's you. And those ugly red uniforms, though they were referring to the St. Louis Blues reverse retro jerseys, uh, which are red and blue and yellow, which they're actually very cool looking. Uh, just that was a fun little shot the Coyotes took at um, at the Blues. Uh, they're playing seven games in a row, yeah, against each other. It's not even the playoffs yet. But we'll uh, we'll do a little standings update here in the NHL, and we'll start off in the Scotia North Division. Uh, this division has played the most games. Uh, it's the all-Canadian division. They haven't had any COVID issues arise in this division, um, the only division in which uh, you can say that at the moment. And the first-place team so far in Scotia North Division, the Toronto Maple Leafs. They're 12-3-2. The Montreal Canadiens are 9-4-2. Edmonton Oilers are 10-8. Winnipeg Jets are 9-6-1. Calgary Flames, 8-7-1. Vancouver Canucks, 8-11-1. And the Ottawa Senators, 4-13-1. Uh, 
not doing great. They've put together a couple wins here in this last week, including a massive win over the Toronto Maple Leafs in overtime the other day, in which they were down 5-1 to one and ended up coming back to win 6-5 to five in overtime. So uh, I guess it shows you that Ottawa does have a little fight in them there whenever uh, they, uh, they try. Now, the Discover Central division, this has turned out to be the most competitive of the divisions uh, because all remember the top four teams from each division here in the NHL uh, make the playoffs and this is the only division so far in which all four teams uh, all top four teams have at least 20 points so the central um, is turning out to be the most competitive division but your leader of the central at the moment the Florida Panthers at 10-2-2 the Chicago Blackhawks have put together a pretty nice little three-game winning streak, and they're up to 9-5-4, and four, second in the Central. The Tampa Bay Lightning, defending Stanley Cup champs, they're 10-3-1. Carolina Hurricanes are 10-3-1 as well. Uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets are 7-6-4. Now, my Dallas Stars are 5-3-4. Now, they've only played 12 games, and I'll explain why here more in, uh, in a little bit. Um, Nashville Predators, six and nine. Then Detroit Red Wings, four, eleven, and three. Now in the Mass Mutual East Division, the Boston Bruins are up top at ten, two, and two. The New York Islanders are behind them. They've made a charge here lately. They've won three in a row, uh, five wins out of their last ten games. They're eight, four, and three. Philadelphia Flyers, eight, three, and two. Washington Capitals 7-4 and 3, Pittsburgh Penguins 7-6 and 1, New Jersey Devils 5-3 and 2, New York Rangers 4-7 and 3, Buffalo Sabres 4-6 and 2. In the Honda West Division, Vegas Golden Knights 10-3 and 1, uh, St. Louis Blues 9-5 and 2. Colorado Avalanche, 8-4-1. Arizona Coyotes, 7-6-2. Anaheim Ducks, 6-7-3. LA Kings, 5-6-3. San Jose Sharks, 6-7-1. Minnesota Wilds, 6-6. They're on a two-game losing skid as it sits right now. But uh, we'll move over to our segment called Around the Island where we do some quick hit topics from the various sports. Now, I mentioned in the uh, intro that baseball season's right around the corner. Well, pitchers and catchers have officially reported to their training camps. So spring training is officially underway with pitchers and catchers reporting, and uh, they've already announced this season's going to be a full 162-game slate. I would assume that as we progress throughout the season, we'll have fans in the stands. So just uh, an exciting time for baseball. They kind of finished a little later than normal, obviously, last year. Uh, but uh, I'm excited for baseball to get going. We'll go over some some free agent signings, uh, as we have been the last several episodes, just some bigger-name players uh, that, that signed. We'll start off uh, third baseman Justin Turner. He re-signed with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, he was a key piece to their Super Bowl, or Super Bowl World Series team this past year. And uh, he plays third base. 
uh, hot corner. He's a great power hitter. Uh, he, I think he hits like third in that lineup. Um, he had one other legit offer from the Milwaukee Brewers that he was strongly considering, but he ended up sticking with the Dodgers. Two years, $34 million there for Justin Turner. Uh, outfielder Kevin Pillar signed with the New York Mets. Starting pitcher James Paxton, he signed with the Seattle Mariners. Now, he had left Seattle to uh, go play for the New York Yankees, but uh, he just left the Yankees to go back to Seattle. So uh, he, he signs there. Uh, starting pitcher Martin Perez, he re-signed with the Boston Red Sox. Pitcher Aaron Sanchez uh, signed a one-year deal with the San Francisco Giants. Uh, closer Sergio Romo signed a one-year deal with the Oakland A's. And closer uh, Alex Colom signed a deal with the Minnesota Twins. Good signing for them. Twins uh, trying to stay competitive in that AL Central. But some big baseball news came out uh, the other day. The San Diego Padres, their face of the franchise, young phenom shortstop Fernando Tatis Jr. Him and the San Diego Padres agreed on a 14-year, $340 million contract extension, which is just absurd. It's the third largest contract in Major League Baseball history behind Mike Trout's $427 million and Mookie Betts, $365 million, which was just awarded last offseason. Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. is only 22 years old. He's only played two years in the majors. And his contract now gives the San Diego Padres two $300 million men in the infield. Manny Machado, the third baseman, is the other one. Uh, he got $300 million last offseason. So the Padres' infield is worth... $812 million in contracts. That is bananas. The Padres are a good team. They made the playoffs this past season, and I would look for them to make some noise again this season. But Fernando Tatis Jr. staying in San Diego. Some minor league baseball news. Uh, New York Mets minor league outfielder Tim Tebow, former Heisman Trophy winner, he announced his retirement from baseball the other day. Uh, Tebow joined the Mets minor league system in 2016, and he reached the AAA level in 2019 where he played 77 games with them. Um, I think Tebow's retiring to focus on himself and uh, his broadcasting career. Uh, he's been doing good with that. Uh, but it was cool to see Tebow try. You just knew it really wasn't going to work. Uh, he was never really good enough to make the majors, but uh, props to him for giving it a shot. But we'll move over to the National Football League. And some major news out of the NFL uh, just dropped this afternoon, and that came via a trade. And that trade involved the Indianapolis Colts and the Philadelphia Eagles. Well, the Philadelphia Eagles traded their second overall pick from 2016, the quarterback Carson Wentz, to the Indianapolis Colts in exchange for a third-round pick in this year's 2021 draft and a conditional second-round pick in next year's 2022 draft. Now, that conditional second-round pick actually becomes a first-round pick if Carson Wentz's playing time is at or above 75% of the plays, 
or if Carson Wentz plays in 70% of the plays and the Colts make the playoffs, which you got to think is likely after this trade. Uh, it's, it's a great trade for both teams. Uh, Carson Wentz just needed to get the hell out of Philly. He needed a fresh start, and the Colts needed a quarterback after Phillip Rivers retired this past offseason. So uh, I've, I've seen reports that people say the Colts gave up too much. I've seen reports that the Colts got a steal, that Philly gave him away. Um, I think it was it was a fair trade. Uh, you know, Carson Wentz's his last year's performance was not like it was in 2017. Uh, he was a second overall pick, but he was literally benched last year. Uh, now, part of that was his uh, spat with Doug, uh, Doug Peterson, the coach. Part of it was the lack of weapons in Philly. Um, whatever it was, Carson Wentz was just not himself. So you can't. Uh, the, the Eagles were not going to be able to get top market value for Wentz like they had hoped, but they do. it does have the potential to be a first-round pick uh, with Wentz's uh, performance and the Colts as a team, So, which I think is very likely that they will make the playoffs. Now, part of that trade, the Eagles are going to carry a $33.8 million dead money cap hit for Carson Wentz against their salary cap in 2021, which is the largest dead cap hit in NFL history. And this trade also reunites Carson Wentz with Coach Frank Reich, who was a member of the Philadelphia Eagles coaching staff in 2017 when Carson Wentz put together that MVP caliber season with 33 touchdown passes uh, before he got hurt in one of those last couple games uh, before the Eagles went on to win the Super Bowl. Now, this trade also means that the top two overall picks, uh, picks from the 2016 NFL Draft quarterback Jared Goff and now quarterback Carson Wentz have both been traded just 19 days apart from each other. Of course, Goff was traded to the Detroit Lions and now Carson Wentz to the Indianapolis Colts. Now, if Carson Wentz can perform anywhere near his 2017 or 2019 seasons, uh, he's going to make the Colts a Super Bowl contender. And, And let's face it, the Colts made the playoffs this year as a wild card team. And they almost beat the Buffalo Bills with an aged Phillip Rivers under center. The Bills were everybody's sleeper pick. They made it to the AFC Championship game, and the Colts almost beat them uh, with Phillip Rivers. So now they have the same stingy defense, pretty much the same weapons um, on offense, a great offensive line, and they get a younger, more athletic quarterback in Carson Wentz, who's reunited with Frank Reich. And if Wentz and Reich can put together the season that they had in Philly in 2017. If they can replicate that, I have no doubt that the Colts will be in the AFC Championship game this year. But some other NFL news, uh, Super Bowl MVP Tom Brady. Uh, He was out there practicing uh, this past week, uh, just a week after winning the Super Bowl. Guys out there throwing the ball around. Uh, He's just an absolute monster. Um, Tells you why he's the GOAT. Uh, but he announced that he's going to have a minor surgical procedure on his knee this uh, offseason to kind of clean up some stuff that's been bothering him. Missed, uh, bothered him pretty much the better part of most of the season, I guess. But uh, he's going to miss some of the offseason programs, but he's going to be good to go for training camp and the start of next year. Now, the Houston Texans, boy, talk about a dumpster fire. Uh, they can't get out of their own way. Uh, this time, it's it's not Deshaun Watson news. It deals with 
uh, Pro Bowl, All-Pro defensive end J.J. Watt. Uh, The Texans and J.J. Watt have mutually agreed to part ways. Uh, Watt was the 11th overall pick in the 2011 draft, and he had requested that he be released. His contract was going to have to be reworked, and he just said, you know what, get me the hell out of here, just release me. So J.J. Watt is now a free agent. Now, Deshaun Watson's still begging to get the hell out of there, and the, the, the Texans are still staying put that they're not getting rid of Deshaun Watson. But right now, their star players just can't get out of there fast enough. Um, now, since coming into the league, J.J. Watt, Uh, Of course, like I said, he was drafted in 2011. Since then, he's first in fumble recoveries with 16, first in batted passes with 59, first in disrupted dropbacks with 162, second in sacks with 101, and fourth in forced fumbles with 25. And that's after missing over 30 games in that time frame due to various injuries that he sustained. So he still can go. He's still an elite player. He's not as elite as he was, but for any team that signs him, I've you know, there's rumors going around that he wants to play with his brother TJ in Pittsburgh. Um, there's rumors that he's been interested in the Cleveland Browns or the Buffalo Bills. Um, whichever team signs him is going to have a major improvement on that defensive line. Now, uh, this is just a rough period of time for the city of Houston. Uh, in the last 12 months, the city of Houston has lost DeAndre Hopkins, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, George Springer, and now J.J. Watt. All of their elite athletes in Houston for all their teams have all left. And I would not be shocked if Deshaun Watson's name is added to that list here in the next couple months uh, because that's what he wants and I just don't see that situation ending any other way. But Clemson, uh, other NFL news, Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence. He's projected by far and away to be the number one pick in the draft here in April. He actually held his own pro day workout this past week. Uh, because the other day, uh, Trevor Lawrence had shoulder surgery uh, to re- uh, repair a torn labrum in his non-throwing shoulder. So... Lawrence wanted to get out there and have his own pro day because he was going to miss Clemson's actual pro day. So he wanted to throw for the teams. Now, there were 16 NFL teams that were in attendance for this thing. And uh, Trevor Lawrence put on an absolute show uh, for his teams that came out. And it actually started when he checked in on his measurements at 6'5", 213 pounds with 10-inch hands. I mean, the guy is just a monster, and he, he can sling it. Uh, He looked to be in great shape. He completed a series of passes without any really noticeable fatigue. Uh, And then his highlight of the day was a 70-yard bomb. I mean, this ball traveled 70 yards in the air right on the money. Just dropped it in there uh, to his receiver. The kid is just a generational talent, and he is for sure going to be uh, the number one overall pick. So Jacksonville, get ready because you are getting a good one in Trevor Lawrence. Now, a weird story out of Jacksonville. Last week, head coach Urban Meyer announced that he hired Chris Doyle to be his director of sports performance. Now, Chris Doyle had previously been the strength and conditioning coach at the University of Iowa. Well, Doyle was fired from the University of Iowa 
when he was accused of making racist remarks and belittling and bullying players while he was there. So Urban Meyer's hiring of Doyle created a ton of backlash. And basically the very next day after this hiring was announced, uh, the Jaguars came out and said that Doyle resigned from his position with the Jaguars. Urban Meyer said in a statement that, um, that Chris Doyle had resigned, but the speculation is that Urban Meyer had fired him just because of the backlash that he was receiving. So very strange, um, strange storage. Urban Meyer did nothing but stir up drama in Jacksonville. And at a time when they're trying to rebuild their franchise and they got probably the, the best quarterback of this generation coming to them, it was kind of an odd time to pull any kind of uh, PR stunt like that. But now we have a sad story out of the National Football League. Uh, this past week, former San Diego Chargers and Tampa Bay Buccaneers wide receiver Vincent Jackson uh, was found dead in his hotel room in Brandon, Florida. And police say that there were no apparent signs of trauma and Hillsborough, Hillsborough County Medical Examiner's Office uh, was in investigating it to determine the cause of the death. Uh, Vincent Jackson was only 38 years old. Now, his family has come out and said that he suffered from uh, chronic alcoholism and possibly some CTE. Uh, so just a very sad situation there with, with Vincent Jackson. He was pro ball player in his time, great receiver. Uh, but... Uh, we also had a pair of retirements this past week in the National Football League, and both retirees are brothers, uh, Mar Marquise and Mike Pouncey. Both have announced their retirement from the National Football League. Uh, Marquise Pouncey was drafted 18th overall by the Pittsburgh Steelers in 2010, and he made 134 career starts and nine Pro Bowl selections as the center for the Steelers. That's going to be a big hole to fill for the Steelers uh, with whatever quarterback they have under center next year because there's been some talk that Roethlisberger's contract is too high and he might not be on the team next year. But uh, that's going to be a big hole to fill for the Steelers. Now, his brother, Mike Pouncey, was drafted 15th overall by the Miami Dolphins in 2011. And he was later traded to the San Diego-slash-LA Chargers. And he's made 114 career starts made four Pro Bowls. Uh, both brothers retired together uh, so they can go enjoy a uh, retired life of, of not playing football anymore. So uh, good for them. Now, the NFL also announced that the 2021 season salary cap was, an, uh, was originally said to be around $175 million per team, but it came out today, the NFL released a memo that said that the new salary cap for the 2021 season is going to come in at $180 million. So a little better than the 175 but it's still down from the $198 million that it was this past year in 2020. And a lot of that has to do with the uh, revenue loss that the NFL sustained from operating in a COVID shortened or, you know, COVID season. It wasn't shortened, but COVID season with no fans and uh, just kind of messed everything up. So, it's $180 million as a salary cap for this year, so teams are going to have to get creative to uh, squeeze everybody under the cap. But we'll go back over to the National Basketball Association. 
I uh, got some injuries to kind of get through here. The Los Angeles Lakers forward, uh, Anthony Davis, uh, he aggravated an Achilles injury the other night in the game, and he's expected to miss several weeks, uh, basically through the All-Star game. Now, the injury was initially thought to be more serious, uh, potentially season-ending, uh, but it turned out to just be a strain-type injury or re-aggravation. So that's a big bullet that was dodged by the Lakers because they need Anthony Davis if they want to repeat as NBA champs. Now, Minnesota Timberwolves guard D'Angelo Russell, he's going to be out four to six weeks after having surgery to remove a, a loose body in his left knee. Um, D'Angelo Russell's, yeah, he's obviously a good player. Uh, him and uh, first overall pick Anthony Edwards formed a, a pretty, pretty good backcourt. Uh, but the, the, the T-Wolves are in dead last in the West, so they're settling in for a nice full rebuild. So uh, they're not really in contention, so the injury to Russell is not going to really hurt them. But I mentioned this uh, when we were doing the standings updates. The Cleveland Cavaliers, they've lost eight games in a row. They are in shambles right now, and their center, Andre Drummond, has officially been placed on the trade block. He... Um, he was benched the other night, and he still continues to get benched uh, and not play. And it's just a matter—it's a matter of if rather than when. Uh, I'm sorry, it's a matter of when he's going to get dealt because we know he's going to get dealt. It's not if; it's when. And the New York Knicks have been favored to be a front runner for Drummond. Um, the dude's a. a rebound machine he'll put up 20 points and 20 rebounds like nothing so um he'll probably warrant a high draft pick but cavaliers uh are apparently done with his services now the nba i kind of mentioned this last week they announced uh that they're doing an all-star game event the weekend of march 7th well the nba came out and announced all their plans and protocols that they have in place for all-star weekend the All-Star Game is going to be Sunday, March 7th, and that's in Atlanta, Georgia. Now, Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, she's come out and basically made a public statement and told fans not to travel to Atlanta for any kind of All-Star Game parties. Uh, the, Commissioner Adam Silver said that the game is not going to be made available to any of the public. No fans in the stands, just strictly a television-only event. So the mayor does not want people traveling to Atlanta for any kind of parties. Of course, that would be to help reduce the spread of COVID. But uh, very interesting that she just would come out and not encourage NBA fans to her city. But uh, the NBA announced that uh, Utah Jazz coach Quinn Snyder is going to coach the Western Conference All-Stars. And Philadelphia 76ers head coach Doc Rivers is going to be coaching the Eastern Conference All-Stars. Now, the All-Star festivities format is going to be uh, as follows. Of course, the game's going to be played Sunday, March 7th. And instead of doing the skills competition on Saturday night, like they would normally do the night before, they're going to combine it all into Sunday's event. And the skills challenge and the three-point contest are going to take place before the All-Star game tips off. And then... The slam dunk contest is actually going to take place at halftime of the All-Star game. So the game is going to be kind of like it was last year. They call it the Elam ending. 
and that's going to make its return. Basically, each quarter of the All-Star game starts with a score of 0-0, zero to zero, and both teams competing to win each quarter for uh, designated charities. And the fourth quarter is going to be played until uh, either team reaches the total point uh, total point scored of the leading team after three quarters plus 24 points. And that 24-point caveat is thrown in there in honor of Kobe Bryant, which they did last year since the All-Star game was shortly after his death. So they're going to carry that over this year. Kind of a weird little format that the NBA throws out there, but it's it's different and might be a little more exciting than, uh, than the usual 200 to 190 games that they throw up if it's just a regular basketball game. But as far as the rosters go for the All-Star teams, the team captains, which is the person from each conference receiving the most votes from the fans, uh, they're going to select their remaining rosters uh, from a pool of players that have been selected to the All-Star game, 22 players in total that they'll get to choose from. Now, the NBA also released a memo regarding the health and safety protocols for the All-Star weekend, which I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, All of the players that are participating in the All-Star game are only allowed to travel to their out-of-market home before going to Atlanta. And in addition, all the players that that are going to play in the game, they must travel to Atlanta by private transportation that is provided by the NBA. So they can't get on a public charter flight got to be a private flight and the NBA has to have arranged that. Now each player in the All-Star festivities is going to have to have of course a negative PCR test the day before on March 6th and the day of on March 7th before participating in anything and the players are also going to be allowed to bring a limited number of family and friends with them. I believe the number is four and those family members are going to have to follow the same travel and testing protocol that the players do. So they're they're going to have to get PCR tested both days, and uh, they have to travel privately as well. Now, all of the players and family members or guests, they're only going to be allowed at either the uh, player hotel or the arena. They can't go out in public anywhere while they're there, simply either the hotel or the arena. So very strict on that. Now, for the guys that aren't traveling to Atlanta for any of the All-Star stuff, they can either stay in their home markets uh, or travel within the country. But they cannot travel internationally. A lot of international NBA players, um, they're getting about a week off. Um, All-Star break scheduled between March 5th and March 10th. So uh, all the players, whether they travel or not, they're going to have to go uh, undergo daily COVID testing during the break. So there's going to be no international travel, even though the NBA has quite a bit of international uh, European players. But uh, if they do travel within the country, uh, they are not allowed to stay in any kind of public accommodations. So they kind of they have to basically stay in something that's private, maybe like an Airbnb, something that's rented out, as opposed to a uh, public hotel. So very interesting and strict. Uh, protocols in place here for NBA All-Star Weekend, which is is coming up here in about three weeks. But we'll go over to the National Hockey League again. Uh, There was a trade that went down this past week. Not really a big trade, but the details uh, inside of it are pretty interesting. It was the Carolina Hurricanes and the Ottawa Senators. Now, the Hurricanes, they traded forward Ryan Dezingle to Ottawa in exchange for 
forward Cedric Paquette and forward Alex Galchenyuk. Now, interesting about this, Ryan Dezingle actually began his NHL career with the Ottawa Senators. They drafted him back in 2011, and he's been traded and signed as a free agent elsewhere, so he actually gets to come back uh, to Ottawa, the very first team he played on. Well, Carolina acquired Alex Galchenyuk in this trade, and immediately after the trade, they placed Alex Galchenyuk on waivers. Well, he cleared waivers and was assigned to the Hurricanes AHL team, the Chicago Wolves. They didn't so they traded for this guy, Galchenyuk. Didn't even put him on their taxi squad, which is like the call-up squad for the players to you know go back and forth between the taxi squad and the NHL like if somebody gets hurt, somebody gets called up from the taxi squad. Now, the taxi squad is consisting of mainly your top AHL players, but uh, this dude's been in the NHL for a long time and uh, been on like six teams, Galchenyuk has. But they just sent him straight down to the AHL. And almost immediately after doing that, the Hurricanes announced that they traded Alex Galchenyuk to the Toronto Maple Leafs for two minor league players. So they basically just gave him away. Now, Galchenyuk was a third overall pick in the 2012 NHL draft. So a very promising player at one point. Third overall pick. But it just seems as if his career is just very much on the decline. Um, he, I saw a picture of him in practice with the Toronto Maple Leafs, so he'll probably be on the Leafs roster. Leafs are a good team. Of course, they lead the Scotia North Division like we talked about a little while ago. So hopefully he can figure it out because uh, he's – He's he's got talent. He just needs the right surroundings. Um, now I mentioned the, the COVID issues in the NHL. Uh, there's there's been five teams that have had somewhat of an outbreak, so to speak, with multiple players testing positive. Uh, the NHL's seen over a hundred players so far placed on the COVID uh, reserve list, uh, and that's we're just uh, a little over twenty percent of the season has been played. They play they're playing fifty six games this year. Most teams. I uh, have played anywhere between uh, 14 to 20. So uh, a little over 20% of the games and over 100 players on the list already. Now, the weird thing, the other issue that's kind of forced a scheduling issue is the weather here in Dallas, Texas. This past week has been absolutely atrocious. Uh, we've had, like, basically a blizzard, uh, ice fro- froze everything up. Massive power outage throughout the entire state, shutting everything down. Schools are closed. Businesses are closed. Grocery stores are running out of food. It's basically the living version of an apocalypse, if I've ever seen one. So here we go in Dallas. We got the Stars and the Mavs, right? Well, the Stars, they were supposed to play Monday and Tuesday this past week against the Nashville Predators, and they were planning on playing that Monday game. Uh, And then Dallas Mayor Eric Johnson actually stepped in and was like, no, we're not playing this game because the entire state of Texas is out of power. You know, a lot of, lot of millions of homes are without power. So we're not going to fire up the American Airlines Center uh, and, and as much power as that uses. And, and, you know, right after it's been advised to conserve power. So the mayor actually stepped in and 
they got the game postponed. They, they announced the, the postponement of the game 30 minutes before the puck was supposed to be dropped. So naturally, they postponed the Tuesday night game. So both games against the Stars and the Preds got postponed. Well, Dallas had another back-to-back game against the Tampa Bay Lightning, scheduled for Thursday and Friday. Well, that those games got postponed as well due to this weather. Now, we're getting power back, and the snow's kind of melting. It's going to be above freezing here uh, on Friday. But what a crazy scene. So that that's four games that the Dallas Stars have to make up. And in that... The Dallas Mavericks also had a game postponed because of that too, because they had a game, a home game this week uh, that, that wasn't able to be played because of this. So crazy scene of events there uh, with regarding the Stars. That's why the Stars have only played uh, 12 games. Uh, and so um, they've, they've kind of fallen behind as far as games played. So they're going to have to make up a ton of games here uh, moving forward. But a quick note from college football. Uh, University of Central Florida, uh, they hired former Auburn head coach Gus Melzahn to be their next head football coach. Uh, Gus Melzahn replaces Josh Heupel, who we talked about a few episodes ago, left to go be the head coach the University of Tennessee. So Gus Melzahn's a big-name coach, man. He, he coached at Auburn for many years. He went 68-35 and 35 in his career at Auburn, including bringing them a 2013 national championship with one Cam Newton under center. But Malzahn is a great signing by Central Florida. Uh, Central Florida's kind of been a a powerhouse program here these last five years or so, and they play in the American Athletic Conference, which has kind of been a breeding ground for developing Power 5 coaches uh, over these last... Uh, several years with Scott Frost, who was at Central Florida, got hired at Nebraska. Uh, Tom Herman uh, went from the University of Houston uh, to the University of Texas. And now Josh Heupel, same thing, went from Central Florida to Tennessee. So you're seeing these coaches come from the AAF, uh, or the AAC, I mean, the American Athletic Conference, and get these Power 5 jobs. Uh, So uh, Malzahn has already he brings that power five experience into the UCF program which is again turning into one of these powerhouse programs whose name you always see uh, inside those top 25 rankings so great signing by uh, Central Florida I think the contracts for five years with like an average annual value of uh, about two and a half million I think but uh, we'll go over to college basketball now and We'll do a rankings update in men's college basketball because we haven't um, we haven't done that in a couple episodes. But before we get into that, uh, Duke University of Duke freshman uh, five star freshman Jalen Johnson he has opted out of the remainder of the season and declared for the NBA draft. So Jalen Johnson's a projected lottery pick, uh, which is roughly you know a top ten pick in the NBA draft. Uh, he's focusing on preparing for the NBA. Duke is probably not making the NCAA tournament this year. Uh, they are eight and eight as it currently sits right now at the as of this recording, and that's probably not going to get it done in terms of a, a tournament appearance, which is really insane when you think about it. Uh, Duke gets all the five star kids, and they're not able to make the tournament this year. Probably not, and if they do, they'll probably have an early exit. But we'll uh, we'll take a look at these rankings here. Uh, the AP Top 25 poll for Week 13. 
top team in the country is the Gonzaga Bulldogs. They're 20 and 0. Uh, they haven't been anywhere but the top ranking all season. Uh, the Baylor Bears, they're second at 17 and 0. Now Baylor has been on a little bit of a COVID issue. They haven't played a game since February 2nd, and they're set to return to action February 23rd after a six-game uh, hiatus, basically. But they're 17 and 0, and they've won all 17 of their games by more than eight points, which is the first time since 1940s that that's happened. Now, starting to see a little run on Big Ten teams here. Third in the country is Michigan at 14 and 1. Uh, Ohio State is fourth at 17 and 4. Illinois, fifth at 14 and 5. Houston, 17 and 2. Virginia, 15 and 3. Alabama, 17 and 5. Oklahoma, 13 and 5. Villanova, 13-3. and They went on about a one-month hiatus from COVID earlier this season, but they've they've managed to pick some games back up. They're 13-3. Iowa, 15-6. My Texas Longhorns come in at 12th, 13-5. West Virginia, 14-6. Creighton, 16-5. Texas Tech, 14-6. Florida State, 11-3. USC 17 and 3, Virginia Tech 14 and 4, Tennessee 14 and 5, Missouri 13 and 5, Wisconsin 15 and 7, Loyola Chicago 18 and 4. Kansas checks back into the top 25 at they're at number 23 with a record of 15 and 7. Arkansas 16 and 5. They've put together a couple good performances here lately. And San Diego State rounds out your top 25. They're 15 and 4. Now, if you're looking for the best two conferences in the country, it's clearly the Big Ten and the Big 12. Uh, the Big Ten, they've got one, two, three, four, uh, five. Big Ten has five teams inside the top 25, including three in the top five. And the Big 12, they've got. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. The Big 12's got six teams in the top 25. So between uh, the Big 10 and the Big 12, you have 11 of your top 25 teams in the country. So clearly those those two conferences are by far the best in college basketball. Um, the uh, bracketology starting to come out where you can start looking at uh, who's going to be Uh, the one seeds, the two seeds, and how the brackets are kind of going to unfold with the first four in, or last four in, first four out. Um, You can check out Joe Lenardi on ESPN. He's he's the bracketology guru on that. And uh, March Madness is right around the corner. And uh, so these conference tournaments are getting ready to get going here in the next couple weeks. And we'll have some, uh, some playoff college basketball here coming down the pipe here shortly. But uh, that's going to wrap up uh, episode 28 of the podcast. Again, it was a shorter, abbreviated version than we've had, so it was a nice little change of pace. Just get you caught up on this last week in sports. I appreciate you guys listening to the podcast. Uh, this podcast is available on all major podca- uh, podcast platforms. Be sure to uh, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on any of the platforms you choose. Uh, take care, stay safe, be well, and we'll catch you on Sports Island next week.